Well, we are grateful that you are joining with us this morning. We are delighted that we get to open God's word together and look for what it has for us that we might be changed and transformed because that's really the work of God, amen? Is that God doesn't save us to leave us where we are, but for us to be changed, for us to be conformed into more of the likeness of Christ. And so that's what our hope is this morning, that through God's word and his spirit working in us, we will be able to do that very thing. I once had this friend named Dave. Uh, we were part of the, the same college ministry together. Uh, but I was leading it, and, and he was hating God at the time. He had grown up in the church, but he really wanted nothing to do with God. I don't know why he came to the college meetings, but, but he did. Uh, he would stand in the back, uh, super angry, uh, wearing a long tan trench coat. Uh, I was slightly terrified him. Uh, and then in God's wonderful work, God saved him. He uh, joined the church. We became friends. We eventually became roommates and then even partners in ministry together. And it was so surprising to see how God worked in Dave's life. Do you consider the power of God when his love and his actions are on display for others to see? It's life-changing. I know because it changed Dave's life. But not Dave's only. Really, every Christian today is a picture of God's love and God's actions to save us. And so if you ever thought uh, that someone was too far gone for God to get to, or maybe you think that sometimes people can be too deep into sin or too confirmed into another religion, that, that God's word and his ability to save uh, would, 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 would not work because they had strayed too far. Well, it's our hope this morning that you actually would be confident of the exact opposite by the time we're done. That we would see what happens when God's power and his love are on display for people to see and how it delivers and redeems and saves. That's what we want to look at this morning in Exodus 18. And you guys, I want to commend you, actually. We have made it. It's been a tough journey. We understand the wilderness a little bit that Israel has been in because sometimes we're here in the auditorium. Sometimes we're in our living room. Sometimes who knows what's going on, right? We don't know what the future holds. And so it's been a bit of a wilderness university experience for us as well. Uh, but I commend you because we have actually made it to the end of our mini-series in the book of Exodus. We have made it up to the point after this Sunday that Israel will have been at Mount Sinai and we will have completed the first part of their journey. And I want us to remind each other of, of where we've been these last 13 weeks. Israel had been enslaved. Uh, they had a harsh ruler, Pharaoh, but God had, had planned to deliver Israel from slavery. He raised up Moses. And God brought plagues and judgment against Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods to show that there is no one like Yahweh in all the earth. There is no God like Yahweh in his judgments. There is no one like Yahweh in his loving kindness towards his people, in his covenant-keeping love. 
God had redeemed a people for his own possession who, would not, who could not even save themselves. God redeemed them. God provided for them. And, and the rest of the book of Exodus is really where God begins to unpack what does it look like to live as a saved people. And ultimately, God brings Israel into covenant at Mount, at Mount Sinai, and he teaches them what it truly looks like to flourish under the leadership of God. And so for the last time, I encourage you to recite with me our memory verse for this series, Exodus 6 verse 7. Let's say it together. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Let's pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do a good work in our hearts through Exodus 18, that we would see the power of your love, the power of your actions that saves, and God, that we would learn what it looks like to flourish under your leadership. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, we, I like to give a roadmap of where we're going because I don't like to go anywhere without knowing each step-by-step -step direction. And so my goal for you this morning is to walk away with this from Exodus 18. God's word reflects God's saving actions, which rescues the enslaved, converts the rebellious, and guides our daily lives. That's what I want us to walk away with this morning, is that God's word, the very thing that we are able to have access to, that God's word reflects God's saving actions, which rescues the enslaved, which converts the rebellious, and guides our daily lives. And so we need God's word for us to live as Christians. So we're going to look at this kind of in three different ways. We're going to look at how God's word recalls salvation to Israel. We're going to look at how God's word converts the rebellious. And we're going to look at how God's word directs our daily lives. So we're really grateful that Austin has read Exodus 18 for us already, but we are going to be referencing it. So I hope you have your, your Bibles out and your, your sermon notes out that we might be able to dive deep into God's word together for our transformation. Well, let's look at the first eight verses together. Let's look at how God's word recalls God's salvation of his people. So Exodus 18 is the final chapter before God meets with Israel at Mount Sinai. And it is so key in displaying the power of God for all of us to see. The end of this section of Exodus starts to close where really it all began in the way that we expect God to display God's awesome power. So if you remember back to Exodus 4, verse 18, Moses had gone to his, his father-in-law Jethro and, and asked if he could go back to Egypt to see if his brothers in Egypt were still alive. Well, now Moses has come to meet with Jethro with about two million of his brothers and sisters, okay? Surprise Jethro, uh, Moses brought home two million people with him. Uh, he really did mean all his brothers here. Um, maybe, maybe Moses meant brothers as kind of a loose term to see how many of them were still alive. Uh, but at some point, Moses had then sent his wife and kids back to Moses' father-in-law 
uh, and so that they could meet up right as they get to Mount Sinai. And despite what some people think, or despite what you will find if you do a Google search on this passage of the Bible, the main idea of this text is not primarily how to deal with your in-laws. Okay, you don't have to kiss them and bow down to them when they come and visit you. That's a good thing, okay? Uh, This is not a five-step process on how to witness to your family. No, I think the author's big idea for this passage is not to have a meal when you entertain guests. All those things you find when you Google search it, by the way. Moses and Jethro meet And Moses goes in great depths in in, in verse 8. Moses goes in great depths in telling all that the Lord had done. And rightfully so, Moses highlighted in detail to Jethro the mighty power of God, his defeat of the Egyptian gods and really of Pharaoh himself and God's great victory in the deliverance of Israel. Moses is telling Jethro all these things. It isn't easy going, it had struggle, uh, and it wasn't without fear, but God was victorious. Moses might have included how he turned the Nile into blood, or he might have included his brave face before Pharaoh, but our passage highlights all that the Lord had done, not what Moses had done. And I think this is important because when we remember the Exodus, we usually remember the name Moses before we remember the name Yahweh. But the truth is, is that the Exodus is about Yahweh, not about Moses. That's actually really true of the whole Bible. The Bible actually, brothers and sisters, is first about God. The book of Exodus shows a a similar fallen human condition that we share with Israel. But the book of Exodus is about God, about God's power, about God's superiority, about God's victory. See, the whole Bible is not centered on humanity as much as it's centered on revealing who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. And so if we read the Bible and continually come away with, well, Paul did this and Moses did that and David did this before we see what God is doing, then I think I'm afraid we're going to miss God most of the time when we read the Bible. The Bible is a revelation of God and his powerful work and ultimately of Christ. It's very possible that what Moses told Jethro in this tent is the same thing that Moses is actually writing down in the book of Exodus for Israel right before they cross into the promised land. And so when we read the Bible, uh, before we ask, well, what does this mean for me? We need to ask, what does this say about God? Because the Bible is about God first. And this is important for our hearts because the Bible then serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. So brothers and sisters, when you are in crisis, when you are out of milk and eggs and toilet paper and the store is out of them too, brothers and sisters, remember God's covenant-keeping love to Israel in Exodus. 
If you are having a difficult time with your boss at work, remember that God has always been faithful to Israel here in Exodus and will be faithful to you also. If you don't think that you can pay your bills, brothers and sisters, remember God will provide for you as a Christian everything that you need to trust him and live faithfully to him. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom who has a toddler who will not obey you. Take heart. God has not forgotten about you, and he will see you through this difficult situation too. The terrible twos are only for a year or so. God has a perfect track record of his power being worked in faithful love for his people. Keep trusting God. Israel saw impossible situations, yet through every event, God was faithful and was with them. I, th- I think one way to help us remember that God is faithful is actually to say it verbally out loud. You might think it's embarrassing. Your kids who are probably playing right now are like, what are you going to do, mom and dad? But I actually encourage you to say it because it is a profound statement to say out loud. So let's actually all say it together. Here we go. You ready? God is faithful. Brothers and sisters, God is indeed faithful. We also see God's powerful love here, don't we? Notice how in in verse 8 of our passage, when Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. See, God didn't owe Israel because Israel had done God a favor a few years back. God rescued them because he loved them. What is mentioned here is is explained then in Deuteronomy chapter 7. God says this to Israel, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And this, this is the good part. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and has redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so what we see is that God's love for Israel's sake was expressed by Moses to Jethro. Not only is God's power important, so is his love. And and did you notice what else Moses said to Jethro? I love how Moses described all the hardship that came upon them. You know, there's this tendency when we give our testimonies to emphasize only the victorious, the successful part of our experience as life as believers. But notice how the opposite, how how the hardship prevailed in Moses' discussion with Jethro. He told them about all the hardships and how God had also delivered them. Brothers and sisters, in your testimonies of God working in your life, do not shy away from the difficult parts. Because the neat thing about suffering is is that it's not meant to be secret. It's meant to be shared for the glory of God, for the encouragement of his people. 
God uses the hard roads that we traveled to be guideposts for other Christians of faithfulness and mercy of God. God uses the hard roads that we have traveled as guideposts for other Christians for the faithfulness and the mercy of God. That's one reason why being part of a church is so important. Because when you gather for worship on Sundays, you should be able to look around to other people and other families and think, wow, isn't God so faithful in that family? And isn't God so faithful in that family and in that family? And isn't God so faithful also in me? God's word recounts how God's love saves his people. God's word saves to the uttermost. We should be praising God for his work. So God's word reflects God's saving actions, which rescues the enslaved, converts the rebellious, and guides our daily lives. Let's look at the second part of Exodus 18, verses 9 through 12, where God's word converts even the rebellious. See, God's word doesn't just remind us of God's salvation of Israel. God's plan of redemption is always greater and it's always more merciful than we realize. So God is not just showing his great name to Israel. Remember, God is showing his great name to Egypt and to all the world. His plan from the very beginning was always larger. And we saw glimpses of it when we were studying Exodus, like Exodus 7, verses 3 and 5, is described so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And it's mentioned several times in the book of Exodus. And so it's not by accident here in Exodus 18 that the phrase father-in-law is used. In fact, it's used 12 times in one chapter. 12 times. Moses, who wrote Exodus, is showing that Jethro's an outsider. He's not part of Israel. He's not part of Israel as Moses was. Jethro was not an Israelite. He was a, peace, he was a priest in a pagan religion. Jethro was a priest of Midian. But after Jethro heard of Yahweh's power, of Yahweh's covenant-keeping love and Israel's hardship with Yahweh's deliverance, do you notice how Jethro responded? Jethro responded in faith and is converted. Notice what we see of Jethro. In verse 9, he rejoiced in the powerful, merciful work of God. In verse 11, he confessed the reality of God being supreme and being king. And then in later on in verse 23, we see that, that Jethro trusts Yahweh for life and godliness. Jethro did not personally see Moses' staff turn into a snake. Jethro did not personally see the Nile River being turned to blood or the frogs invading Egypt. He simply had to hear about what Yahweh had done for Israel and respond in faith. Jethro went and then offered sacrifices to God with Aaron and the elders of Israel. 
Brothers and sisters, what, what an incredible glimpse that even non-Israelites, even Gentiles would one day share in the covenant with Israelites and God himself. What an amazing picture that Jethro, who was an outsider, hears of the great power of God and is converted to faith and to worship Yahweh. Jethro was a pagan priest, and yet even he's able to be converted. Jethro isn't the only place we see this. Uh, that same phrase that's used in, in verse 11, this now I know, it's used in another place too. It's, it's used in 2 Kings 5 where Naaman, this commander of the army of the kings of Syria, of Syria, was healed of leprosy and then also converted to worship Yahweh. And so the testimony of God's people to God's actions in their lives on their behalf has always been an effective component in evangelism. God's word saves even former pagans like Jethro and me, and you. It is the gospel of God's deliverance which prompts Jethro's responses. Brothers and sisters, we need to see this morning that no one is beyond the saving work of God. If there was ever someone who would not be likely to worship Yahweh, it would probably be like a priest from another religion right? How rare it seems that a Muslim imam would convert to Christianity. And yet Jethro hears of God's saving work and is converted. Maybe today you have not participated in the mercy of God because you thought that you had to deserve God's mercy. Well, friend, you need to know that God abundantly saves even those who at first are far from God. Simply understanding Jesus' work on the cross, stepping in our place to take the punishment that we deserve, and then placing our faith in Jesus' death on the cross as the only way to be saved, and we can begin a new life just like Jethro, just like Israel is experiencing. Maybe you're a non-Christian here today. You know, I wonder what it would take for you to put your trust in Jesus for salvation. I mean, seriously, I wonder what would have to change in your mind for there to be enough evidence or to be enough moral reason or enough of whatever it is for you to turn to God in faith and turn away from rebellion against him. If you're a non-Christian, what keeps you from placing your trust in Jesus and being saved? You know, I'm reminded of something that Jesus taught in uh, Luke chapter 16, Jesus taught about this rich man who needed nothing in this world and had every single luxury. And at this rich man's gate was a poor man, poor man named Lazarus who was so poor that even the dogs pitied him. And both the rich man and Lazarus die about the same time. And, and, but what is surprising is this great reversal where the rich man is in Hades and Lazarus went up to be with Abraham, not in Hades. And the rich man who thought that he had everything ended up in torment. But Lazarus, who in this life had very little, was forever with God's people. And the rich man realized what had happened. 
And he had asked Lazarus to be sent back to warn the rich man's brothers so that they would not end up in the same place of torment. It doesn't seem like a bad request. But Abraham said to this rich man, they already have Moses and the prophets, which included what Moses wrote, uh, which is what we've been studying in the book of Exodus. They already have Moses and the prophets. That that is enough for them to turn away from their sin and turn to God. But, but the rich man thought, if someone like Lazarus goes to them from the dead, then surely they will repent if someone comes from the dead. But the conclusion of the parable is that if they don't listen to what Moses had written, even if someone were to be raised from the dead, they still won't believe. Now we live in the best of both worlds because we have what Moses wrote, we are studying the book of Exodus, but we also have someone who has been raised from the dead. Jesus was crucified, was dead and buried, and yet he didn't stay dead, but rose from the grave on the third day. And so my non-Christian friend, will you listen to Moses in Exodus? Will you listen to Jesus who comes back from the dead, who calls you to repent and believe? Because friends, we have all that we need to turn away from our sin and put our hope in King Jesus. And we will find forgiveness in him. We will find redemption. We will find a new beginning. We will find death to our old selves and being made alive in Christ Jesus. Won't you come to faith today? Maybe you're a Christian here today and you think, well, I've already done that. You know, I wonder how you respond with your actions when you read God's word. Does it amaze you enough to go and share the gospel with others? God's um, amazing work was so influential in Moses' life that he couldn't help but tell Jethro exactly what was going on. Maybe more importantly, Christian, how does your heart react when you read God's word? Does it make you swell up in praise at the work that God has done in your life? Does your heart love God more when you see his mercy and faithfulness to his people? Do you place the truth about God on the ears of people around you so that they have a chance to respond in faith? Or are you already convinced and already assume that they don't want to hear it and so you just don't ever get around to telling them? Or do you just assume that they've heard it once before, many years ago, and so they don't need to hear it again? God's plan has always included bringing the good news to other people for us as Christians, so that other people would find the mercy of God also. God's word reflects God's saving actions, which rescues the enslaved, converts the rebellious, and then finally guides our daily lives. Let's look at this third part together. Really, verses 13 through 27 of Exodus 18. So there are about two million or more Israelites by, by most scholars' estimates uh, who are having disputes and quarrels, not just with God, but with each other as well. And they wanted to know what God's position was for everyday life matters. So people would go to Moses all day long, apparently, from morning to evening, and they would give 
God's, and, and Moses would give God's law on this matter and on that matter and, and on that one over there and, and for this one over here too. And so Moses' job was to let Israel know the statutes and the law of God in verse 16. Now Jethro, wanting to help out, he suggests that there's better wisdom here. He says, don't do this by yourself because if you do, you will wear yourself out and you shouldn't be doing it alone. What a good word. Uh, And I know that this passage is not about elders in a local church, but I do think it speaks to something about the leadership of God's people and how it's not designed to be done alone. I actually am firmly, firmly convinced that a plurality of leaders who know God's word and how we should live and walk in God is a blessing to God's people. In fact, I think a plurality of leaders who know God's word and know how we should walk in God's word is a blessing to a local church. Notice how when Moses established other leaders, look at the qualifications that he has for them. That they were men who feared God, who were trustworthy and honest and wouldn't take a bribe. And they are serving not for status, but for the benefit of the Israelite community. It was a benefit to Moses who couldn't even take a lunch break and needed other people to bear the responsibility also. These other godly leaders were a benefit to the community because their case would then be able to be heard. But notice also in verse 23, notice that by doing this, verse 23 indicates that he would help Moses endure to the end and for all the people to reach their destination. Well, what was their destination? The destination was the promised land where Israel was headed. They're going to make a pit stop at Mount Sinai, but Sinai wasn't the destination. The land that God had told Abraham all those years before, that was their destination. Not only do good leaders help other leaders endure and not burn out, but they lead the people to their destination and they do so in peace, as it's described here in Exodus 18. Maybe one of the most embarrassing parts of Christianity is how much we can't seem to get along with each other. Most churches are started out of frustration instead of a congregation affirming a leader and sending him out with some of their own people for multiplication. One of the most distinguishing marks of a believer is the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is peace. Don't you wish church business meetings were known as peaceful instead of combative? I'm really thankful that that in my time here at Friendship, I have been a part of no sort of combative business meetings. I've been in some. Thankfully, I haven't been in some here. Godly leaders of the church are called to build unity, lead directionally for where we as a people need to go and who we need to be, and godly leaders help one another endure. This is why I think it's imperative that a church should follow the biblical descriptions of having a plurality of elders. Maybe some helpful questions for us as a church might look something like this. 
as we think about the qualities that Moses was looking for in good judges and leaders are really some of the same that we're looking for, maybe we should be asking some questions like this. Am I thankful for the leadership here at Friendship Baptist Church? If not, why not? And if not, have I tried to resolve the issue with them in a godly way? Will I trust where the leadership is taking us as a church? Why do they emphasize the things that they do? And I wonder, am I missing something if I don't follow with it? I think those are really important questions for us as we see the benefit of godly leaders for God's people here in Exodus 18. Verse 21 of Exodus 18 describes Moses as looking for the right fit leaders among all of God's people. And so if you are a leader in some capacity, are you training others to have that same Christian character? Are you training others to be able to do what you do? See, healthy churches don't happen by accident. It is by the grace of God and usually combined with the work of leaders whose character is upright and know God's word for our daily lives. Notice, even in the selection of the leaders, it was for the good of the people. In the selection of the leaders, it was for the good of the people. Think of Jesus seeing crowds of people who needed help, right? Who needed to know God's good news and God's healing power. And Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. God's people need good shepherds. God's people need good leaders. And every elder of a church is an under-shepherd of the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus himself. Godly leaders are gifts to God's people for the advantage of the people, not for their harm. The leaders here only made decisions from God's laws and statutes. And so the faithfulness to God's commands qualified the leaders, it equipped the leaders, and it directed the people for their daily lives. Friends, God's word reflects God's saving actions, which rescues the enslaved, which converts the rebellious, and guides our daily lives. You know, this first, this series of the first half of the book of Exodus has really been about God's rescue plan for his people. The gospel of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus is not that Israel might be saved or would be saved if they did enough things right or that God will give them grace after all that they could do themselves. No. No, the gospel of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus is that Israel was up a creek without a paddle. Israel was enslaved and had no way out. They couldn't fight their way out. They couldn't negotiate their way out. And to keep them in slavery, Pharaoh was killing off their young boys by having them drowned in the Nile. The generation of Israelites here only knew slavery because they'd been there for over 400 years. Israel cried out to God and God had already been preparing Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt. But nothing worked for Israel until God compelled Pharaoh with God's mighty hand and forced Pharaoh through continually worsening plagues up until God compelled them even with displaying his superior power up all the way until the death of the first 
born of Egypt for all who were not covered by the Lamb's blood. But God, in his loving kindness, passed over all who had their doorposts covered in the spotless Lamb's blood. He did not bring death upon those households. And then Pharaoh drove Israel out of the land, led by God to the Red Sea, where there was a final showdown between Pharaoh and his army and Yahweh and Pharaoh and his army drowned in the Red Sea chasing Israel. Israel had been redeemed, but they had not yet arrived in the promised land. They had to learn what it meant to trust God with their redemption and with their daily lives. So the gospel of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus is that God saved and redeemed an unlikely people of slaves who even after their salvation, they grumbled and doubted God and yet by God's loving kindness began to transform them to be his people by his word and brought them into covenant relationship with himself. God's people are saved by God's power and God's powerful actions are then proclaimed to others who God is. And then God gives us his words to live by for our good as his people. Man, God is so good to those who turn to him, isn't he? God's salvation is so incredibly wonderful because it's not as if we've earned it or deserved it. It's because God has shown mercy and loving kindness towards us. Praise God for his work. Praise God that he has redeemed us through his son, Jesus, who left the glories of heaven and died on a cross, stepping in our place, but then not staying dead, but then being raised from the dead for our justification that we would be transformed into his likeness. Amen for God's good work in us. Well, let's not be people who are hearers of God's word only, but hearers and doers. So let's spend just a few moments responding to God right where we are and, and, and ask ourselves, God, how do I need to better live to live under your word and to flourish as your people? And then I'll close this in prayer and then, and then we'll lead in another song. that we would be people who benefit from the leaders that you have put into place. God, we pray that you would raise up good leaders that would know your word and know how to apply it to our lives that we may walk in your statutes. God, we pray that we would be people who, who recognize that you, God, are in the business of saving And so all that you've done in Israel's life and in our lives, Lord, that we would would not be silent about that, that, but that we would show all the more the hope and the deliverance by your mighty hand and in your kindness and love. So Lord, help us to be people who don't stay silent. Help us to be people who don't just assume other people don't want to hear it. Let us not presume anything, Lord, except that you are a God who saves and that your power on display through our words and our lives actually is used by your spirit for the saving of others. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to trust you and to proclaim your name 
in all the earth. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Respond now. Diction this morning. Coming from Romans chapter 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We're so glad that you joined us. We pray that you would have a wonderful rest of your Lord's Day. And make sure that you sign up on our website for uh, us to be able to have our community outreach next Sunday. Please sign up by Wednesday for the names we can reach out to. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.